0: What kind of a sick school is this? Uh-oh, Strange things are afoot at the Circle K.
1: You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger.
0: Oh, righty.
1: Are you doing? Back off, Ben. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm
2: angry. Say
0: hello to my new friend! I love
1: to great come in the morning. What are you people? On dope?
0: Stop whining.
1: I've got a crap on deck that could joke a donkey.
0: Who is your
2: daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm
1: afraid I can't do that. Who Can I do that? I'll be back. A dino Show me
0: the money!
1: Don't! Up your nose when you have a pose? A what?
0: I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy.
3: You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down.
1: Love means never having to say you're sorry. It
2: is looking at you, kid.
1: We've got no food! got no jobs our pets heads are
0: falling off go to the coast we get together have a
1: few laughs i'm coming to join you honey i'm not a doctor but i play one on tv i love it when a plan comes together what we
2: do is if we need that extra push
1: over the cliff you know what we do put it up to 11
2: 11, exactly one louder why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder these go to 11
3: We're on a mission from
2: God. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Rigor. As listeners may know, here on Then Is Now, we like to expose young people to all the cool stuff they may have missed out on. Mini golf is one of those things, especially where I grew up, and that was a fun pastime and the mini courses always had interesting decor, sometimes with windmills or giant orange dinosaurs. Well, today, mini-golfs have gotten bigger and more creative than ones in the past, and so we're going to talk with Larry Kirchner, who is president of Blacklight Attractions, and he's going to tell us not only about the Blacklight mini-golfs that his company designs, but also a slew of other amazing attractions, including rides, escape rooms, and axe-throwing setups, just to name a few. Don't forget, you can join in the discussion on our show at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast, or if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com you can also check out our other show, The East Meets the West, as well as other fun stuff at havenpodcasts.com. So sit back and enjoy our interview with Larry Kirchner. Class is in session.
0: I have a bad feeling about
3: this.
2: How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food
3: fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today.
2: I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Woo-woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop
0: class. Bueller? When you were in school... Bueller? Did you ever cut class?
1: Bueller? Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes.
0: Good. Sign this um he's dead. i get
3: so lonely when i hear that third attendance ring and all my kids are not here seven years of college down the drain fat drunk
0: and stupid is no way to go through life stuff. you lack discipline as long as i'm here there will be no grades or gold
2: stars or demerits we're gonna have recess all the time
0: Woo! go play and have fun now
2: Joining me today is Larry Kirchner, president of Blacklight Attractions, a company which is a world leader in building family fun center amusement attractions such as mini golf, laser tag arenas, interactive mini golf, blacklight fun houses, axe throwing arenas, dark rides, haunted houses, as well as anything from Christmas blacklight attractions to restaurant theming. Blacklight Attractions designed and installed over 500 amusement attractions worldwide, including some based on popular licensed characters such as Spider Man, Garfield the Cat, James Bond, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Ghostbusters, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They also create custom attractions and theming projects in Blacklight or non Blacklight. The company is based in St. Louis, Missouri, with a team of 15 artists, carpenters, CGI animators, CNC machines, and animatronics. Welcome to the show, Larry. Uh,
3: hey, how's it going?
2: Good, good. So I think our audience is sort of interested in, what we, we like to discuss here is uh, pop culture of the past and things we used to do. And one of them was mini golf. And, you know, that started somewhere around 1912. And that's still around. And that's sort of what caught my attention with your company. But you do much more than just mini golfs. Uh, how did you get into the business of creating these attractions?
3: Honestly... Uh... When I was in high school, I helped a local haunted house um, do some video work because I was running a, uh, uh, at my high school, they had like a, a, their own TV station. And so I was working there and uh, so I just went over there and uh, and asked "So, Hey, can we film it? And they said, yeah. (laughs) And then next thing you know, like they did a Christmas thing directly after, and they asked if I could do that. And they did a Halloween party. They asked if I could do that. And um, next thing you know, I was helping them, you know, like build the scenes and stuff. And then I eventually opened my own uh, around the corner and the rest is history, really. Uh, But what really got me going towards the building attractions for people was I made a video called uh, how to create your own haunted house, which sold thousands and thousands of copies through a company called uh, I think it was called Johnson Smith or something. They had a catalog called Things You Didn't Knew Existed. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we sold thousands and thousands of copies of wow uh, of this video. And then, you know, of course, we had uh, a lot of people who asked us to build them attractions. And uh, it really just kind of started off, you know, just building haunted houses. And, and then we also did props as well. Nice. And uh, we did props and we did, you know, animations and, you know, and it kind of, uh, we we're doing haunted houses for a long time. And we pretty much got almost every theme park in America going with haunted houses from wow. Cedar Point, Kings Island, Carowinds, um, you know, uh, Tampa Bush Gardens, SeaWorld. You know, there were so many of them. And uh, we were doing haunted houses, and then eventually I got kind of bored with it because I get bored with things easily. <laughs> and then, uh, and I started looking into doing dark rides, and then uh, and so then we, we got the the opportunity to do a few dark rides, which was a lot of fun. And then and then somehow it all swung into mini golf <laughs> <laughs> and laser tag. And then, you know, eventually swung into escape rooms, which, you know, I built for myself as well, which had a huge impact. So, you know, it just kind of like just happened, if that makes any sense.
2: Nice. And one thing I love uh, reading up on your website is that you don't have a sales staff. There's nobody that gets commission from hiring your company to build an attraction. Your attractions are so good that the, the quality speaks for itself. You don't need to advertise or go to trade shows to get clients. So how do you get the word out about your company? Is, is it simply word of mouth from people who've, you know, you've done things well, for? Well,
3: you know, there's a couple competitors that we have that do more work than we do, but they also have an army of sales staff and they go to trade shows, they do gigantic booths and whatever. Uh, most of the work that we get, we get from people looking at our website and seeing the, uh, the level of uh, work that we do. And that usually sells them. Like I, I talk to people all the time and they'll say, yeah, I was looking at your website. Holy cow, you're you do way better <laughs> than everyone else and you know, I used to have a giant, uh, staff. Okay. I mean, like, you know, 20 people, whatever. And, um, I actually am more happy just doing one project at a time. So I don't want to, uh, kill myself. So I just like doing one thing at a time and doing it right. And, and so if you do it that way, you can have a much smaller crew and staff and, and, uh, and it's much more manageable. And when you think about what happened with COVID, that turned out to be the better route. Right. There's a lot of big companies relied on lots of work because they have lots of staff and they had to, like, let go of a lot of people.
2: Right, right. So if you set up a haunted attraction, say, at an amusement park or even just a standalone, but you're setting it up for a client you basically, you give them all the training they need. Do you have like licensed music that you put in there or do you create the music? How does something like that work?
3: Well, like in a lot of cases we create the, like when you're talking about audio, a lot of cases like we create it from scratch. So uh, it's really kind of a combination. Like when you're talking about audio, a lot of it, you know, like if you're building a pirate as a miniature golf and you you have to have specific sounds to match the scenery, you know, then obviously you're going to have to create that from scratch. So a lot of the stuff that we do do is from scratch.
2: Nice. Nice. And so what's the process If say, I came to you and said, I I wanted you to build me a a haunted attraction. How how does that work?
3: Uh, If you wanted to build me a haunted, well, I mean, the first thing you want to get from a client is their budget because, uh, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people want to do it the opposite because they don't want to tell you how much money they have. The thing about a haunted house is, you know, and I own three of them myself, you know, is there really is no budget when it comes to a haunted house because you can spend money until, until you literally are, I mean like I could spend all of a billionaire's money. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's an old, uh, I don't know if it's an old saying, but it's just a fact that there's no limit to somebody's imagination. Okay. So, um, right. you look at Hollywood movies, you know, and Waterworld was that movie that got all of the negative publicity, okay, for spending that much right. money. Now, it's the opposite. If you're not spending $200, or 300000000 to make a movie, it's probably not very good, okay? Right. And so, um, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different world, okay, and there's really no limit to how much money you could spend. And so the first thing you got to establish is um, what is their budget? What kind of uh, space are they working with? You know, like square footage. And and then, of course, what's the theme? I mean, there's lots of different themes. okay, You know, a haunted mansion, an asylum, a research center. You know, there's just there's hundreds of millions of them. Right. Because we've seen all the horror movies we know. And so there's a lot of different themes and, and so that you you really have to pick a theme and know what you're, what you're trying to accomplish.
2: Interesting. Interesting. And you, you also mentioned you have escape rooms and you you kind of fell into that. Can you explain to the audience what an escape room is? And then I'll I'll have a few more questions.
3: Well, an escape room is something like where, and you have to understand about escape rooms. Um, When Escape Rooms first came on the scene, and I think that most people uh, thought they were a lot of fun and they were great. And there was one that was a franchise that was doing really good called uh, In a Room with a Zombie. Okay. I think that Mm -hmm. franchise, I'm not sure, but is gone. Okay, because Escape Rooms, when they first were started, they were started by maybe people who were like into puzzles and things like that. But they didn't understand theming, storytelling, and whatever. And uh, escape no. rooms, like have, like with anything, they've evolved. And you got people with more money, more creativity, that get into the into the game, and then you take a a, a, a theming machine like myself, okay. And you get into <laughs> it. You know, you're going to try to create. You know, like a, an immersive world. Okay. And so um escape rooms have really evolved over the last couple of years, you know, to be, you know, like in the jungle, obviously the lions usually survive. <laughs> the elephants survive. Right. Okay. <laughs> but usually the gazelles and the zebra you know, they eventually get eaten by somebody. That's just kind of where it's at. But escape rooms are uh they're like rooms or multiple rooms where you have a theme, and probably the most typical one is like a serial killer theme, where like a serial killer has kidnapped you and you have 60 minutes before he comes back, let's say, to finish the job and you gotta solve puzzles and clues to unlock things and discover things and escape. Okay. And you right. know, and pretty much people have turned every theme you can think of into uh, an escape room. Like for example, with us, we wow. built um, one based on the book of uh, the wonderful wizard of Oz. And obviously that one's really popular and uh, you know, but you can pretty much turn any kind of theme. All of my escape rooms are multiple rooms. Uh, the, the biggest one I have is a cellar. And I think it's like seven different rooms. The typical one that we build is three rooms. So you got to Break into you start in the first room. You got to get in the second room, the third room. Then you got to figure out how to get out totally all within 60 minutes.
2: That's great. And do you find that you have to constantly like you constantly having to sort of reinvent yourself when you do when you make a new escape room so that the puzzles are more and more challenging to the, the guests?
3: Well, you know, I think what a lot of people do is when they get into building more than three or four and now we have six and we're getting ready to do a seventh one that you're not going back to the well and doing the same thing over and over again, you know, and there's only so many things you probably can do. So, you know, that's kind of a concern. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to make them all completely different if you can. And you want to be aware that you're not repeating the same thing twice.
2: Right, right. And you've got some great ones. I mean, The Curse of the Mummies Escape, The Seller Escape, The Pirate's Curse Escape. Uh, Are you just like a font of creativity? I mean, you must be extremely creative and imaginative to keep coming up with all these. Yeah, you know, what's
3: funny is like, uh, no, that's what I am. I'm like the uh, the main salesperson. I'm also the main like creative drive behind the company. But you know what I found with Escape Rooms is that the more. It's pretty much with any industry. Whether you look at roller coasters or you look at uh, amusement rides or you look at uh, mini golf or whatever, right? So people see what other people do and then they copy it. I mean, it's just that simple. And whenever, you know, they made uh, fun of movies and uh, Get Shorty with John Travolta, it's like, remember they made the famous, it's this mixed with this mixed with that, you know? And, you know, that's what Hollywood is, really. When you think about almost every movie you've seen, you go, well, it's actually they stole from this, they stole from that, you know, whatever. And (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's the same thing with escape rooms. Um, The more escape rooms you see, the better job you can do. And but I'm not a person who likes uh, to go to escape rooms or even other people's haunted houses for that matter. So uh, I like to come up with my own ideas. uh, But, you know, I found it. Uh, beneficial to hire somebody to help me write scripts for escape rooms uh somebody who actually loves you know going to them okay and so then I have his uh take and then I have like my take which my take is I've never really played escape rooms other than my own so I have my own ideas and then you kind of like blend them in with like um with with someone who's going to escape rooms because they just love doing it.
2: Nice. Nice. One of the things I saw on your site too. I mean, like I said, there's so many amazing things that you've got going on here. The, um, but I want to know about the St. Louis pinball attraction. How did that come about?
3: Well, you know what it is is like when I built my escape rooms, I just built two. Okay. And you know, see the mm-hmm. whole haunted house industry is kind of evolving itself because you know, uh, not that long ago, haunted houses would advertise, hey, we're the longest, we're the biggest. And people kept adding more and more um, space, more haunted houses, making them bigger longer. Well, what happens is when you make them bigger and longer, you uh, create a need for labor like you've never even heard before. You know, it's like an insane right. amount, okay? You know, and the more people you hire, the weaker, you know, the, the overall staff, uh is at doing their job you know because there's only a handful of people who really can do it well and so what's really been happening with haunted houses the last few years especially mine is we've been like downsizing the haunted houses and making them smaller believe it or not and instead we've been adding things like um you know we added a gift store to the darkness several years ago we added a five-minute escape room We added a horror arcade. All these things were driven to make people's last impression of the haunted house a very positive one and um, and then really to help drive sales for gift stores. But next door to my haunted house of darkness, I bought the building and my first thought was, what do you think the first thing that came into my head was when I bought that building? Uh Well, of course, the shop is the we're going to we need more shop space. So the whole downstairs will be a shop, obviously. But what to do with the upstairs? I mean, what do you think the first thing that jumped in my head? Build another haunted house. Okay, which we did (laughs) and we built a really amazing one and I built it as a modular haunt, thinking because, you know, the the national trade show for haunted houses is here in St. Louis. And so we thought, oh, yeah, when theme parks and stuff come by, we'll have this, you know, big, elaborate haunted house to show them. And wouldn't that be great? Well, the problem is that um, I couldn't get the kind of money that I needed from the customers. They didn't want to pay that much more. But at the same time that we built this haunted house, we built these two escape rooms, okay, And so we started off with Hmm. two escape rooms and a big giant haunted house. And you know what we did over three years? We kept making the haunted house smaller, (laughs) okay, to add more (laughs) escape rooms. And then it got to a point where, you know, hey, we need a bigger queue line or a bigger lobby for the escape room. And um, and so we had to take more space from the haunted house to eventually where it got to, you know, wouldn't it be cool, like if. If uh, you know, we had an edge over all the other escape rooms from the standpoint that we'd have a party room, and so I just started buying pinballs because pinballs go hand in hand, I think, with the people who go to escape rooms, and um, and so nice. it really took off the the escape room business really took off. We got started getting uh, many more company parties because we had the party room things to do, but eventually, what happened was. The haunted house got whittled and whittled away and then eventually I just sold the whole thing. And so now hmm. in the building next door to my main haunted house, there is no haunted house anymore. Now we expanded it to to get up to six escape rooms. We made a bigger arcade on top of the fact that we also built a black light mini golf. Wow. So things change, you know.
2: Yeah, so tell us about the the black light mini golfs that you do. How how does something like that come about? And are are there any safety challenges because the lighting is so, you know, dark?
3: Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Black lights are dark, but you have to remember the artwork that we do is so bright that you, I mean, you could read a book in there. Okay, so if you just have black lights on and nothing, it's not reflecting or, you know, lighting lighting up like a black light itself. Yeah, it would be really dark. But when you have tons and tons of things that are painted in black light, it basically lights up like the room is normal, but it's just black light.
2: That's awesome. And so are there any safety challenges with that or are you pretty confident that they're all, they're pretty safe because you can still uh, see? You can
3: see fine. In fact, uh, you know, you take your camera in there and you can take pictures with no flash and you know, that's the, the key to taking pictures in black light of our, the stuff that we do is just turn your flash off. That's it. <laughs>
2: nice. <laughs> because it's that right. And in, in talking about safety, tell us about the, uh, which I was really fascinated by the axe throwing arenas. I've never actually seen one in, in person.
3: Well, we don't <laughs> actually have one. Uh, we thought about building one, but we changed our mind. But um, we actually have built them for other people. And, uh, you know, basically, what's crazy about it is like, 90, probably 8% of the people who go and do it have no idea what they're doing, okay? Uh, But that's kind of like the future right now for all amusement is everybody's building what they're calling social, competitive social. And what that means is that you compete against your friends at doing things in a social setting. Okay. And so it doesn't matter if you know how to do it or not. That doesn't matter. So, like, they turned like when you think of uh, Top Golf, you've heard of that, right?
2: No, I haven't actually.
3: That's where you hit the golf balls. It's like a driving range. That's a game, okay. and uh, that's obviously gotten very popular.
2: It's like a video game or an actual golf in in person.
3: Oh, it's a real driving range. That's a game, and then people can oh, wow. drink alcohol and buy food and everything else. And they're making tons of money, but like, that's the, the big, biggest example of competitive social. Right. So you may not golf. Right. You may not, uh, even enjoy golfing, but you do it, you go and you do it and you compete against your friends. It doesn't matter that you know how to do it or not. Okay. Right. So like, in a way, even though bowling's been around forever, it's now part of the competitive social market, okay? Where um, right. people are doing it just because they want to do something with their friends. They've also turned mini-golf into a competitive social environment where it's like a it's like a wacky mini-golf with a bar, food. Um, they're... they're There's uh, people have also taken, which seems kind of crazy, but where you throw uh, axes or you throw uh, footballs at bowling pins, okay, or shuffleboard (laughs) or bocce ball, all these things uh, have become some sort of bar restaurant, okay? So it's something you may not have ever thought of doing before, but now you're doing it because you do it with your friends but obviously this whole industry has taken a hit because of the you know you can't do things or they don't want you to do things in a group or right, whatever right. so it's the whole amusement industry has really been hurt by covid probably more so than any other industry other than maybe the airline right industry.
2: i can imagine And so so with the axe throwing, though, what are the safety challenges? Because I noticed you were very on your website. You're very um, you make a point to explain how yours are much safer than most other people's.
3: Oh, yeah. So basically we came out with a. I watched a couple videos where people would throw the axes and you can get on YouTube and watch this, by the way. And just like type in something like axe throwing near misses, you know. And oh, and geez. you see these axes like ricochet back at people. And so what oh, we did was we built the, uh, the play fields to be like essentially like six inches off the ground. Okay. And what we did was we filled the whole section with sand. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: So now when the axe hits the ground, it stops dead in its tracks. Okay. So there is no ricochet. Effect. You throw the axe I could shoot it out of a cannon and it would stop. Wow. I mean, think about the army or war or whatever. You know, they they make sandbags because they stop bullets. Okay.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> that makes total sense. That I would never have thought of that. Interesting. So, OK, so now you have um you have some attractions also that have 3D components like uh, Santa's Magical Adventure. How does that work? Like, What about them is 3D?
3: When you, what happens is, okay, is uh, whenever you mix the 3D components, okay, uh, of the paint, and you paint it in a certain way where you're separating colors, and then you use something called chroma depth 3D glasses. That creates a three-dimensional effect where the colors separate. Oh, okay. And essentially everything's in three dimension.
2: That's awesome. And so can you explain to us a little bit of like how um, if, if people haven't been there for Santa's magical adventure, what is that like and what are you getting out of the seeing things in 3D?
3: Well, basically what happens is like especially like when you paint the floor, let's just say you paint the floor with blue snowflakes and and then there's like uh, red ornaments and stuff like that. So it'll make, it'll make it look like the blue is like uh, a foot under your foot, whereas the other colors are level with your foot or above your foot. Okay. And then also when you paint the walls, it's the same oh, effect. Okay. So anything you paint in forced perspective blue, it looks like it's farther away and everything else is closer.
2: So like as opposed to a, a haunted attraction where you go in to get scared, what happens in something like Santa's Magical Adventure? What are you doing or what are you seeing?
3: So you're talking about what now?
2: The, the Santa's Magical Adventure, I'm just trying to envision what it's like being in there since I haven't been there. Can you just ex- sort of explain to the audience, like, when you go in, what happens to you? And things aren't going to jump out and scare you because it's not a, a scary thing, so. <laughs> no,
3: no, like, you would have, like, uh, yeah. So you would have, like, uh, you know, like, pleasant uh, music. You would have You would have, like, all these 3D, like, scenes. Like, we had, like santa's toy factory the uh the mail room uh frosty like a winter wonderland kind of thing you would have like uh, where you could meet santa uh, a weather station the reindeer stalls you know and all this stuff would be built out and then it would be painted in 3d
2: oh nice that sounds awesome
0: Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love a look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, And even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So, join me and my rotating crew of co hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So, join me for The Bloody Pit.
2: Hey, folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, Podserve.fm. podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process. And in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed... I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes, I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at podcast upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on podparadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodSurf's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much I put a reminder on my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcast on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend PodServe.fm. Check them out.
1: MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like *Creature from the Black Lagoon*, *Island of Terror*, and *King Kong*. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio!
2: And so you've also got interactive dark rides. What exactly is a dark ride? Can you explain that to our audience? A dark ride
3: is where you um, have a controlled environment, okay? and In other words, like the room is completely black, right, dark, and, uh, you know, you you build sets and scenes and people only see what you light up.
2: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And virtually every every ride in Disney and Universal essentially is a dark ride. Virtually, almost every single one.
2: Right, like with the Space Mountain and the uh, the Aerosmith one. And
3: well, I mean, Space Mountain is in, considered an indoor roller coaster, but on the flip side, you could say you could also make a case for it being a. Um, you could also make a case for it being a um, a dark ride in a way because you see scenes, okay. Um, right. that one's probably more considered like just an indoor coaster, but in, it's kind of an indoor coaster hybrid dark ride, but a dark ride typically is cars or some sort of moving vehicle that goes through and you experience scenes from like, say that film or that theme, like for example, Harry Potter ride at universal is definitely a dark ride. Okay. Yeah. When you think about, uh, uh, universal, like transformers is a dark ride. Spider-Man is a dark ride. Um, oh, okay. you know, uh, if you go to Disney's snow white, it's a dark ride. I mean, uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, uh, you know, they're all dark rides. Okay. The handful of rides that aren't dark rides, you know, off the top of my head, um, you know, like, uh, it, it's really kind of funny because even rides at Disney that are roller coasters ultimately become dark rides (laughs) you know where they (laughs) slow the car down and you go through scenes and you see bears and whatever and then all of a sudden it goes back to being you know like a scary ride or whatever
2: right 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 and are there are there safety challenges with that as well in terms of you know people staying in the cars and and all that stuff
3: well absolutely because you know you got to take a lot of things in consideration when it comes to a dark ride that you don't necessarily consider when you're doing like a a mini golf. Cause you know, like what if somebody stood up in the ride, you know, could they have their arms torn off their head hit something? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of safety factors when it comes to a dark ride.
2: Wow. I can imagine So, um, when you've done, you've worked for a lot of um, big theme parks like SeaWorld and Bush Gardens and Planet Hollywood. Do you you have any interesting stories to tell us about uh, working with some of these big companies or big theme parks, I should say?
3: You know, it's like they're all so different. You know, some are family owned and working with them is like a piece of cake. Okay. And then you have other ones that are real corporate. Okay. And you got to go through a lot of paperwork and, Like, for example, we did work for the the military, okay? Yeah. You know, they were in in Alaska, and they had, like, a military base there. And the the kind of red tape you got to go through to work for those kind of people is crazy. (laughs) You know, like, whenever you're shipping something to China, okay, you have to go through a lot of red tape. That's one of the reasons why I don't like working in China.
2: Hmm
3: uh because you know like if china wants to send the united states something it's so simple you know and you want to send something back it's like so difficult and a lot of people uh when they listen to donald trump talk about china they don't understand it just like flies right over their head but if you're in manufacturing on any level at all like where you're trying to send something to china you fully understand okay what he's saying and Right. China is obviously a, like a communist country and everything is regulated by the government. Okay. And their main goal is, yeah. Hey, if you could build it in China, then why are you buying it from someone else? Okay. And so you got to go through a lot of red tape. Right. Right. To do stuff in China, which is like literally the main reason why I don't even like doing anything over there anymore. Do
2: you, do you do anything in any, any other countries?
3: Yeah. We've done stuff like, uh, like all over the world. Um, uh, Israel uh, Germany Japan Korea Brazil uh Chile Mexico Canada Australia um, Denmark England several times been to England nice pretty much like all over the place
2: do you have a favorite country that you've been to in terms of like the attraction uh, that you've put together
3: me personally yeah I haven't been on a lot of the installations like recently but like when I was traveling uh and I was like pretty much like the main installer as well you know it's like you know I really uh I don't I'm not really that into traveling to be honest with you um but I'm trying to think like where I did like going uh it's always fun to go to a a theme park because then you can sneak away you know and ride the rides you know (laughs) and uh and uh you know probably the most fun time i've ever had when uh universal gave me a uh like a pass and you it wasn't even just like a fast pass it was like where you go through the exit and get right on nice that was pretty nice and i got the same pass when i went to six flags magic mountain once so you didn't have to wait you just walk right on
2: that's awesome
3: (laughs) those are perks okay if you're a amusement park fan yeah these are perks that you know like you really like uh it's always fun too to go behind the scenes and see things and whatever and uh, you know yeah it's like uh, you know uh i'm also like kind of a person that likes to see new things so like one of the things that jumps in my head was we did a project for um, a client in tombstone arizona okay the real tombstone you okay. know and it was kind of interesting going there. And I remember meeting with the client and I was there and whatever. And then I remember just like, you know, visiting the whole town, you know, and I was like inquisitive and wanting to see everything. Wow. And, uh, check it out. It was also interesting driving to it, you know. And so those are kinds of things like, too, when you go to a town, like, you know, like typically I'll like search out something, you know, to see i will tell you like for me like um i try to see as many real things as possible okay and that's good inspiration for designing stuff and you know i've always been a big advocate of a phone or or not a phone but a a camera and so everywhere i went i'd have tons of film uh like you know back when you had to develop film i'd have 30 or 40 rolls wow every little thing i would see i would take a picture of and I remember having, you know, tens of thousands of photos that I threw away. Um, and I remember this guy was there and, and he was, hey, can I have these? You know, because he was trying to be in the business himself. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> but like, you know, and then obviously everything went digital. But like I have millions, you know, millions of photos. Okay. And sometimes they take photos of stuff just to remind me of what I was thinking of when I saw it.
2: That's great. Oh my God. So what, what, um, what would one of the attractions like, um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my words here. <clears throat> what would be the most challenging attraction that you've ever had to build?
3: Well, that was probably when we did Spider-Man because, um, the guy called me asking me, could I build an incredible Hawk like haunted house? And I remember saying to him, like, a haunted house, like, that don't make no sense. But we ended up building it as a mini golf. And that was by (laughs) far the best one we ever did. Because I was telling him, like, it seems like what you're doing is more of like a family fun center. Don't you think you should do it, like, as a mini golf? But anyway, he was telling me, like, and I was like, what other attractions are you building here? And he told me about a Spider-Man. and But he was really looking for a company that could do what Universal did and, you know, have uh like the green goblin fight spider-man and so on and so forth and he asked me well i mean is that something you could do and i said well absolutely you know i was like well of course we could do that (laughs) and and you know without thinking about the budget which was only 600 and something thousand dollars uh and this is back when they didn't have like digital audio repeaters okay so I basically didn't know what I was talking about and just agreed to do something that I had no clue how to do. Right. So like, but today it would be a very easy project. Okay. But back when we did it, it was very difficult Yeah. because the technology to, to do the things that they wanted to do, like universal had done with their Spider-Man wasn't available.
2: And and what exactly was needed? Like what did well, they wanted want to see the, the Spider-Man to do?
3: CGI effects. And you wanted to see them repeat and so we did some of them on tvs and some of them on projectors which is fine but how do you manage to trigger them and play them on command okay oh i see okay and some people had done it with uh dvd players okay where they rigged the dvd player okay but that wasn't going to work for a high capacity Uh, ride like this, you know, you needed a digital audio repeat, you know, player that could be programmed. It just didn't grow on a tree. So eventually we found a company in like, I think it was like Sweden or Norway or something that was selling something that you could program for about $5,000. So we had to buy these things that really dug into the budget. Let me tell you, (laughs) <laughs> and then I remember like they were about to open it and we were still trying to figure out how to program them. <laughs> so, you know, but we did get it done with like 13 or 14 seconds to spare.
2: Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So all, I mean, you've got so many awesome different types of attractions. Like we said, from, from mini golf to ax throwing to dark rides. What do you have a favorite or is there one that you are most proud of?
3: what ride am I I the most proud of
2: or of any of your attractions could be anything.
3: Well, obviously I'm most proud of the stuff that I've done for myself because I did what I wanted, how I wanted to do it. And I think that's important. Right. Right. Uh, but if I was to say something I did for somebody else, um, I really think that that incredible Hawk mini golf that we did was probably the, one of the coolest things we've ever done. Um, it was a nine hole mini golf. And that was the first mini golf we'd ever built. And now all we do is mini golf for the most part. And it took us like four or five months to do that. And now it takes us like, you know, a, a month to build an 18 hole mini golf. Wow. And it was quite challenging, I have to say.
2: <laughs> That's great. That's great. One last thing I, I thought of, um, I wanted to ask you about the pinballs. Isn't it true there's only one company in left in the country that makes pinball machines? Do you have any difficulty trying to acquire them for for your pinball attraction?
3: No, there's several companies making pinballs. Oh, good. Um, there's one main one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you also have the old ones when they had you know, Sega made them Williams Valley. And then they, they combined to be Williams Valley. Right. You also have Gottlieb. Okay. Uh, But today you have Stern, which is the main one, Jersey Jack pinball, uh, Chicago gaming company makes them another company called American pinball. And then there's a, a handful of companies that are trying to start up and make pinballs and, they maybe made one so far. I'm planning others, but no, they're not hard to find.
2: Oh, that's good. I was getting, I was getting worried for the state of pinball machines <laughs> in the country.
3: No, there's uh, that's going really good, and you know, there's uh, that's a pretty big business right now.
2: Nice, sort of like vinyl records are making a comeback, I guess.
3: Well, I think that uh, you know, I used to be a DJ, but vinyl records were um, are only making a comeback because it's kind of like the social attractions that people are experiencing right right it's just kind of like cool because you know what was old is new again it's just kind of like a cool thing to have like your main records you know and you you play them on vinyl but records are literally the main thing right now that people are it's pretty much the only thing people are buying anymore hmm. it's really funny because you know it, it started off with vinyl. And now it's going to finish with vinyl, right. (laughs) Okay. Because you know, like when everything started going digital, you know, uh, you know, you had like the, you had the uh, Apple of the world, you know, where you would buy songs and buy albums digital, you know? Right. And then it changed to, well, now you just pay for a service and you can listen to whatever you want. Okay. So now there's no need to buy anything. Because it's just there whenever you want to listen to it. And so now I think what happens today, and I'm not sure exactly how it works, but Apple and all these different people who run these services pay fees based on how much something's played, okay? Right. And uh, so, like, when somebody comes out on an album now, uh, nobody buys them anymore. You know, so, like, when you go back and you look at Wikipedia and you go, okay, let's look at, uh, you know, yellow submarine it tells you how many copies were sold where it landed number one number two you know right right. and you know now it's all about uh you know and you can see like oh it's four times platinum you know i don't think you're ever gonna have a platinum album ever again
2: right that's true
3: and that whole system is gone and you know now when you look at a a band like maroon five okay I think like they've got probably the most views of any band in history, and you know you have to take that with a grain of salt because it's the same way with like box office, you know numbers, you know, right. um, because you know when when you've seen the Star Wars, the first one, a, a movie ticket was a, like a dollar and fifty cents. Okay, now they're ten dollars. Right. So if you adjust the price, okay, to today's you know um, dollar amount you know, obviously you get a different outcome, you know, believe it or not, like speaking of horror, The Exorcist is the 10th highest grossing film of all time. That's right. When you, when you adjust for box office and so is Jaws, which in Jaws technically is a horror movie, Yep. but getting back to the albums, like, you know, it's like, if you had, if Michael Jackson was today or Madonna was today, I mean, of course they would be, they would have the most views, you know, uh, the Beatles, whatever, but you're in the era you're in today you have bands are more concerned about getting lots and lots of views on their youtube because they make 20 million 15 million whatever dollars every time when their videos get to certain plateaus right it's just a whole different world but it, it is kind of weird how vinyl is like the number one selling part of the music industry right now in terms of like people buying music.
2: Oh yeah. I was surprised to find I was in a uh, target recently and they were selling vinyl right next it's to the in Walmart. East. Yeah. It's in Walmart. <laughs> because
3: it's cool again.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, and, and here's, here's the other thing people are paying, you know, back when I was, um, you know, an album would be like $10, $8, whatever. Now an album is like 40 bucks.
2: Right, yeah. And it, it, it is expensive, but there's something to be said, though, about it's... For me, I mean, I have tons of record albums, and I still play my vinyl all the time. And like that and DVDs, there's something about um, owning the physical media, especially with music, because when you bring it home, you get the liner notes, you can read about the music on it. It's It's not like today where, you know, it's just there's a song. Okay, let's play it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want, I want a little bit more. I want a little bit more interaction. I want to know, you know, how it was written, who wrote it, and all this stuff, that you just don't get anymore.
3: You know, um, this is an interest. This would be like for a whole another topic. But when I started this business, you know, I had a haunted house and I uh, was doing it for another guy, and he was paying me two dollars for every person who walked through the door, and I did all the work for free. He decided essentially not to pay me what everything he owed me. And he told me he no longer needed me anymore because I got the business going so good. Oh, the funny part is the next year he went out of business and he tried to resell it. To <laughs> he tried to sell it to me <laughs> one year away and his whole thing collapsed. But that's when I started the darkness and, and I got my investor was the, the owner of the building itself. Oh, wow. And, and he was older and he had a baby carriage company that was kind of on the way out. And I asked him in his lifetime what was the greatest invention, you know, of his lifetime. Yeah. And he said the fax machine. Huh. And and I said the fax machine. He said, "Yeah." And he said because the fax machine made it possible for you to do international orders in the same day.
2: Oh, wow. You
3: know, because they could fax orders rather than having to mail them, which could take 2 to 3 weeks. Right. Okay. And in, and it made me think about a movie Called Caddyshack.
2: Yep. Okay.
3: And when you go back and you watch a movie like Caddyshack, because a big part of it was the doctor constantly being, you know, beat. Yeah. Okay. And you go back to that and you ask a kid today, do you know what a beeper is? And of course they have no clue what a beeper is. Right. Okay. Why would they need a beeper? Yeah. A beeper is like, you know, text messaging today. And, uh, and so like, this is what I would say is, You know, like in my lifetime, more innovation has happened in the last 50 years than the rest of the world combined.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: Because you think about like what somebody my age has gone through. Okay, so when I was a kid, you had Southwestern Bell Company. And if you made a long distance phone call, you had to like speed it up because, you know, you get charged by the minute. Right. Yeah. And then your parents would scream and yell at you yeah. because, you know, <laughs> or you were trying to talk to your grandparents or whatever. And it had to be a special occasion because of long distance fees. Right. Right. <laughs> so you started with that and then it graduated to like beepers. Yep. OK, where you would go to a pay phone and call somebody. Right. And then it graduated to these big blocky phones. To you know, and, and then you mix in like Apple II computers and Commodore 64s, and now you have devices in your hand that are so powerful, you know they're more powerful than the computers that put a man on the moon.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
3: Okay, and all of that's happened in a in one lifetime.
2: I, it is exactly. unbelievable. I mean, I even was thinking a while ago about the. Um, the video rental stores, they only had a 30-year life. My kids are in their late teens now. They barely remember going to the video store to rent DVDs. You know, it's just amazing how things have changed. Now you've got everything at your fingertips.
3: It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, like, like you know, it's like I, I was saying the other day, it was like, I don't even know why, um, you know, like I even have like uh, uh, direct TV anymore because uh, the only thing you really watch now is uh, streaming. Yeah. It's like, why do you even need regular TV?
2: I, I like to have cable. I have still have Comcast because I like to be able to flip through the channels and just... I don't want to have to stop and search for something or put a DVD in or whatever all the time. I want to be able to just mindlessly turn it on, have it on in the background. And, you know... it's I still, I still find value in that, and it's funny because the, what you and I are just talking about now is exactly what this show is about, because there are so many things that were cool in the past that the kids today just don't even know about, and they, they kind of missed out on. You know, I always said when, when my son was born, I felt the need to bring him up to speed on all the cool stuff that he missed out on, <laughs> so that's what we're trying to do here with the show, and it's like, you know, everything's transitioning now to, like you were saying, to this streaming sort of way of, of viewing things, which don't get me wrong. I, I watch a lot of stuff on, you know, the DC app and uh, Netflix and prime and stuff like that. But I still like personally like to have my cable TV in the, in the back so I can just turn it on quickly, turn the news on if I want. And then, you know, I don't have to think about it.
3: It's insane. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my, my dad had a bootleg version of uh, Indiana Jones, you know, (laughs) on a, And you might even remember this, but it was there was VHS and then there was also one called Beta. Yes,
2: I have some Beta tapes.
3: <laughs> and we uh, and had a Beta one and we watched Indiana Jones and and I don't even remember how he got it. But, you know, it's like and it went from that to where we are today. Right. It just makes no sense. Like how things have changed so fast.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I still have like- a laser discs. <laughs> I just don't have a functional player.
3: Oh, yeah, I remember discs. Yeah. They were as big as a Frisbee. Yep, <laughs> Things change, and things change
2: fast. They do. And, Larry, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show here. We're going to have to have you on again to talk more about some of this other stuff that we've been talking about in the end, about how things have changed, uh, maybe in the future, if you're interested.
3: Yeah, sure, no problem.
2: Awesome, awesome. So can you tell our audience uh, where they can find you online, and then maybe tell us about... Real quickly, like some of the attractions that you guys own so you could tell them where they are and what they are.
3: Yeah. So um, we have haunted houses and you can find all those at ScareFest.com. We also have escape rooms and you can find those at St. Louis Escape. When it comes to building attractions for people, you know, they can visit Blacklight attractions.com.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for coming on the show here. And um, hopefully, like I said, we'll have you on again sometime in the future.
3: Hey, no problem. You take it easy.
2: You too. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of then is now podcast. As always, you can chime in on the conversation at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast, or you can send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our other show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Spaghetti Westerns and Shaw Brothers films. You can find all of our podcasts on all the major podcasting systems, such as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Please go to wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a great review as that will help increase our audience. You can also check us out at havenpodcasts.com, and you'll find other fun stuff there as well. So we hope you enjoyed our interview with Larry Kirchner at Blacklight Attractions, and we hope you learned a thing or two. Class dismissed. <phone rings>